Currently in the LCMS, there are about 6,000 churches or so and about 5,000 pastors. Now, when you take into account that there are some of those churches that have two or maybe even more pastors, you can see that there is already a substantial shortage. Now, you may want some vacant congregations so you can have some movement of the pastors, so to speak, but otherwise we probably shouldn't have over a 1,000 vacancies. Now, between 2014 and 2018, seminary enrollment, enrollment in the seminaries that train up young men to be pastors, dropped by 55%. So there are over less than half the number of pastors graduating from the seminaries that there were 20 years ago. On top of that, 46% of pastors now or in the next 10 years are either at or approaching retirement age. If all these trends continue, you can see where I'm going with this. We'll have less than 3,000 pastors in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod in about 10 years. If I were a betting man, I would guess that in 10 years, the LCMS will have well over 2,000 maybe close to half of its churches without a full-time pastor. That's kind of a crisis. It seems like things are falling apart when you look at those numbers. Well, things were falling apart at lots of times in the church as well. Not just now, not just in the LCMS, in history. In Acts 15, we find out just 13 chapters after the glorious chapter of Acts 2 where the Spirit came down, Jesus had ascended into heaven, Peter preached boldly, thousands of people were baptized, they all devoted themselves to the apostles' preaching, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers, and to the fellowship. Just 13 chapters after that, very early on, in the early Christian mission. In Acts 15, certain men came down from Judea, this is verse 1 of that chapter, and taught the brothers, well, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension or dispute. That's a nice way of saying they had a big dissension and a big dispute with them. And they determined that they should all go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. And that's what happened when we get to the Acts 15 reading we read earlier is there in Jerusalem at the first council of the church, the Jerusalem council, and they're debating this question of the Judaizers as to whether or not these Gentiles who are becoming Christian, if they have to undergo circumcision to be true Christians or to be saved Christians. Now, James, the brother of Jesus, who we celebrate today, he was in a rather awkward position there because he was the pastor at the church in Jerusalem. He was kind of supposed to be in charge of this whole council thing. And it was awkward because his ministry was focused on, you can guess it, because he's in Jerusalem, 
the Jewish remnant. The Jews who had converted and believed in Jesus as the Messiah, who had continued with the promises of the Messiah that they had received before from their fathers in the faith and had believed it when Jesus Christ came, that he was, in fact, the Messiah. James was focused on them. And when he writes his epistle, which we read some of as well, he writes to the Jewish diaspora, to the people of Jewish descent that are spread throughout the ancient Near East at the time, who believe in Jesus. And so on one hand, his, his, his flock, his church, it probably has a lot of these Judaizers in it who think poorly of these Gentiles who are converting and coming into the church. On the other hand, he knows the scriptures that the Gentiles have a place in the church. And he's also brother pastors with Paul and Barnabas. He's in a rather awkward situation. And things are falling apart. And that's why the church needs faithful pastors. It needs faithful pastors so that when the time comes, when things are awkward or difficult, or when things seem like they're falling apart, that there can be qualified men who can sit there and listen like James does. Notice that's one of the things he does in Acts 15. He sits and he listens to them. And then he proclaims to them a judgment and he preaches to them the scriptures. That's what the church needs. James was set apart to serve, not to use the synod's initiative title in a cheesy way, but James literally was set apart to serve for this reason. Whenever I was thinking about the need for pastors and about what James did in Acts 15, I went and looked up my ordination vows. Ordination vows, I think, are, at least they should be, in a church, a good measure of what the pastors are supposed to do is what they vowed to do when they became pastors. And you can kind of split them up into three basic things, I think. Teaching and preaching the scriptures, pure doctrine based on the scriptures. Administering the sacraments and forgiving sins. And a ministry kind of in general, and as the vows put it, centered on the gospel. To the old, to the young, to the sick, to the dying, to the needy, and to all given under your care. And there's different means by which this is done by prayer, exhortation, rebuke, correction, and even by example. And James is a great example. James is a great example. You can see the way that he fulfills these vows. Of course, he didn't take the vows in the Lutheran service book agenda, but he probably took somewhat similar vows. He fulfills these vows of what a good pastor should be doing with his time. All there in Acts 15. The first thing he does is he preaches the Bible. He doesn't get the doctrine of the salvation of the Gentiles from some sort of idea in his head or even just by the testimony of Paul and Barnabas. But he goes back to the scriptures. He says the words of the prophets agree with this testimony. 
After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. The remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. He preaches the doctrine based, in this case, on the book of Amos. But he could have really picked a lot of other books too. The point is he went to the scriptures and he found the doctrine there, the pure doctrine. And that's what our churches need. James uses that scripture to rebuke the Judaizers, to exhort the continuation of the spread of the gospel in the early church, to correct the people who are confused about what's going on. And that's what our churches need. They need men who will preach the scriptures. And at the end of the day, I really don't care so much about if we have 3,000 or 6,000 or 8,000 or 1,000 or 25 pastors in the LCMS. What matters is that the ones who are there are doing this, preaching nothing but the scriptures. And we can grow from there. And we know from the rest of the book of Acts that James also certainly has a ministry centered on the sacraments, centered on the gospel, focused on forgiving sins. If you read through his epistle, a lot of it is about reconciliation between brothers. You heard that in the prayer, that James is an example of prayer and reconciliation. And this is also what our churches need. They need a ministry centered on the gospel, not centered on entertainment, not centered on feel-good ministry, not centered on social justice or any other thing that might distract us. Our churches need ministers who have a ministry centered on the gospel alone. And finally, an example, pastor, in this way, careful to minister to those who are given under his care. Notice the care he puts into this judgment in verse 19 and 20. My judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. We should not make them be circumcised. We should not make them follow under these ritual laws that don't apply to them. But we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. Now the background here is that you can imagine if you were a faithful Israelite, a faithful person from the tribe of Judea, or from the area of Judea, a faithful Jew, who had really followed the moral law and accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you lived in these areas where these pagans were, and these Gentiles started converting to your faith, that you would be a little worried about what they might bring in. Now, the Judaizers were not right in trying to add laws to the Gentiles, but they did have maybe some legitimate concerns about paganism creeping into the church. And so this is why James, he says, look, we can't trouble them about circumcision. We're not going to go make them have an invasive surgery, basically, on account of the gospel. But we will still warn them that they should abstain from things, especially in regards to the moral law, polluted by idols and sexual immorality. And he even says 
kind of as a temporary measure. This does kind of change throughout the mission of the church. But here in Acts 15, as a temporary measure, that will ask the Gentiles to abstain from eating things strangled and things that have blood in them. Now, that is still one of the old ritual laws that the Gentiles technically are not under anymore. And Paul makes that very clear later when he talks about meat sacrificed to idols. But James here is careful because what is James doing? He's preaching to the Jews under his care. And he's being comforting to them. And he's correcting them and he's showing them, hey, look, we can take things slowly. Hey, look, we can get along. We can find a way to make this work that we can live in peace with one another and we can be in the household of faith together. And that's called wisdom. It's not just a matter of knowledge of having the right doctrine and the right exact answer. It's a matter of having the right answer at the right time and applying it in the right way. And that's also what we need in our churches. We don't just need someone who's downloaded Lutheran theology off the internet into their brain. We need people, we need men, we need church workers who are wise. Not just that can think about things, but that can act in a way accordance with God's will. So James is a great example of this. As a pastor, I wish I could be more like James. And I hope that the pastors who are raised up, whether it's from set apart to serve or however they're raised up, are more like James. But he's a great example, not just in being pastoral, but also in his calling. I highly doubt that he wanted to be Bishop of Jerusalem. We heard this in Matthew 13, that as Jesus' brother, he was not one who was at first very friendly with Jesus. When Jesus went to his hometown, he was specifically not accepted by his own household. Are his brothers not James and Simon and Judas? Isn't the guy, this the guy of that household? And James didn't really seem to like his brother that much. And you can imagine, this is sometimes how it goes, that when people are asked, hey, maybe you should think about being a pastor one day, they say, no, that's okay, that's not really my thing. That's what I said. I was in confirmation, and my confirmation pastor said, hey, you should really think about being a pastor one day. And I said, yeah, never in your wildest dreams. Well, here I am. But he was encouraged by his pastor, James was. In 1 Corinthians 15, we find out that when Jesus appeared to people after his resurrection, one of the first people he appeared to, even before the apostles, he went and appeared to James. And this is complete speculation, but I like to think what happened there is that he appeared to his brother and James repented and said, yeah, Jesus, maybe there was a reason you didn't get in trouble so much as a kid. And I believe in you. And Jesus called him to be Bishop of Jerusalem. His pastor encouraged him, and that's what we need to do. We need to encourage our young people. We need to encourage our young kids, our middle school kids, our high school kids, our college kids. We need to encourage them to think about these things. The church needs these people. It needs pastors. And it needs organists. We probably have a bigger shortage of organists 
than we do of pastors. And everyone likes a real organist more than an iPod. No offense to the iPod, but everyone likes a real organist better. We need teachers. We need all these things. Jesus encouraged James. We can encourage our people too. I think one reason for the decrease in people serving in the church today is one of the reasons that you could also see some of the problems happening in the early church then as well. And that's because the ministry, it's not always a ministry of joy and laughter. Sometimes it's a ministry of trial and persecution. As we already said, James had to deal with really awkward and really tough situations in his ministry. That's probably why he writes, as you heard in James 1, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. James knew what it was to have trial as a pastor. He had disagreements even with Paul, one of his brother pastors. You can read about that more in Acts 15 and Acts 21 and in Galatians 2. He had problems being in Jerusalem, like we already talked about. And ultimately, we're wearing red today. I'm wearing red today. The altar is wearing red today. Because James was martyred and his blood was spilled for the faith that he confessed and the faith that he taught. And you've probably seen pastors in your life be persecuted or run out or go through hard times in their own lives. And yet, James says this at the end of it all, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Just because the job is sometimes hard doesn't mean it's not a blessing. And so let this be my encouragement to you and especially to any future pastors out there that this is the best job that there ever is. You can argue with me and say that your job that you've had is better, but I won't believe you. I think this is the best job that there ever has been. It is the only job established by Jesus Christ, so I think I'll win that argument there. But even without that, and even with all the trials, even with having to go through really hard times with people and having to be there when people are going through their worst times and their worst moments in life, and even having to hear about all of people's problems and complaints and all the rest of it, all of that is nothing. It's nothing to me if one person repents and joins the ranks of heaven because of the preaching that comes from this pulpit. It's nothing to me if I get to bring the light of Christ into a very dark situation. Even if I am persecuted and my blood is spilled like James' blood was spilled for the faith that I confess, to me, to live in Christ is gain. And to die, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Even if I die, yet shall I live. And if I know that, And if I get to proclaim that, why would I not have the job that pays me, and it's not about the pay, but the job that allows me to proclaim that, to preach that, to study that, to live that full time? 
for a living, it's great. It's the best job there is. And so consider this work. Maybe you're not called to be a pastor. I'm sure not a lot of you are. But if you do meet the qualifications found in 1 Timothy 3, then consider seminary. But if not, consider how you can support the ministry. Consider how you are set apart to serve. Think about the elders. Think about the church council. Think about studying to learn the organ. Think about all of these things. All the opportunities to volunteer. For James was set apart to serve. And maybe you are too. To him be all to God and Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord, be all the honor and glory now and forever. Amen.